And I'm Melissa. And together we want to welcome you to Still Great Bob. This is your first time joining us. Together we are watching AMC's Mad Men trying to answer the question, Is it Still Great Bob? This week, we're discussing Season 3, Episode 2, Love Among the Ruins, written by Katherine Humphreys and Matthew Weiner, and directed by Leslie Linka Gladder. This episode originally aired on August 23rd, 2009. The hit movies that week were Inglorious Bastards at the top spot, which was a new release that week. District 9 is in the second spot, down from one last week, and down from two last week in the third spot is G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. The number one song this week on the Billboard Hot 100 is still I Got a Feeling by the Black Eyed Peas. It was a pretty good week, actually. <laughs> on this episode of Mad Men, Sterling Cooper quickly goes from two new accounts to just one. Betty's family comes for a visit, and Peggy goes out for a drink. I feel like a lot happened, but also not much happened. <laughs> this is like one of those episodes where all my notes are quotes. <laughs> yeah it's like <laughs> classic early season mad men you're exactly right annie where it's like nothing happened but everything happened because it's all set up or mostly set up um did we want to start with like a quick tidbit smaller section to t- chat about our friend roger ladies man man's man man about town roger sterling i mean basically it's just that no one likes him right now <laughs> yep a quick check-in with the trash king <laughs> Still King? Yeah. <sighs> what's what's that quote he says later in the episode? I, I think I don't I didn't put it in quotes in the notes because I think I was paraphrasing it, but it's like I don't even care about the stupid wedding anymore. I just wanna win. I think that's, that's almost like, exactly what he says. <laughs> yeah. It's like nice Roger. Yeah. Nice. Good dadding. What a fucking loser. He's also in like this like semi serious work meeting and he's like, Oh, you ever get drunk and get in your Coat of arms or not coat of arms? <laughs> yeah. Fuck that shit. Roger, read the room. He's not very good at this room reading. Or just like, I don't know. It's like he doesn't know where he's at. I don't know if the show knows where he's at, but at least Roger is reflecting it in mm-hmm. a way that I greatly dislike. Um. So his family comes to visit him and they're like talking about the wedding and understandably, in my opinion, Margaret doesn't want Jane at the wedding. But Brooks comes in and Brooks is like, hi, how are you? And he's like, not great, book Brooks. And I'm like, oh, we could have named the podcast that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My favorite is that one of the first things that Roger mentions is that he's paying for the wedding. Cool. And then he just seems like... He's just so annoyed that his daughter is really mad at him, which she has every right to be. And he's just like, oh, Mona is pouring poison in her ear. And it's like, no, she's just a grown ass woman who yeah. is capable of making a very sound judgment about your shitty behavior. Because Mona is kind of being pretty as good as you can imagine. Mona, in my opinion, is thriving. <laughs> yeah. She looks fabulous just sitting there. Yeah, she looks really good. <laughs> Agreed. She's she's looking great. She's thriving. She has no problems getting a a date or her filling out her plus one or her dance card at the uh, at the wedding, which is a couple months away. And like Roger seems really insecure by the fact that Mona's in the dating pool already. And it's like, dude, like you're married to your like twenty something young wife now, and talking about how happy you are. You don't you don't get an opinion or get to care on what your ex-wife is doing and it's like 
I fully understand and fully realize that wedding planning with kind of blended families, you know, divorced parents, in-laws, that that whole deal, it's tough at the best of times. And the divorce between Roger and Mona is so, it's so new. And not only is that divorce new, Roger's second marriage to Jane is new. And that dials up the stress to 11. But like stress isn't something that Roger wants to invite into his life for whatever reason. And it just, it's easier to blame everyone else. And that's, that ain't it, Bob. That ain't it. Mm-mm. I mean, it definitely, he definitely nails, uh, nails the nail on the head. I don't know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> anyway, he like definitely gets right at it when he's at dinner with Don, when he is like, oh, I made my bed. I should just lay in it. And he's being like snarky as if that would be like a ridiculous thing. But also, yes. Right. Like, right, right, right. you don't get to decide how your family uh, the women in your life who you are supposed to prioritize, like, you don't get to decide how they handle the fact of, like, your choices. You got to make those choices, and now, yeah, you get to deal with the consequences. Like, I'm, like, I don't, I'm not confused about why Roger can't handle this, because we already understand, like, that he is not a, like, fully formed, well-rounded person, but it's still, like, very annoying to watch. He is not a grown-up. No, you know what he kind of makes me think of? He makes me think of, um, uh, like, Michael Shannon and those guys in Knives Out where <laughs> their dad all realizes at some point, way too late, going, I have coddled him and not allowed him to grow as a human being, and now he's just kind of shitty at this adulthood thing. Yeah, That's Roger. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do want to clock the look between Joan and Roger when she overhears him being like oh well it's not that hard to adjust to happiness because I I just think that there might be a lot there like Joan maybe thinking like oh are Roger and Jane like really happy like am I happy like you know right here's all these things to maybe think about oh. right yeah, I don't know if I like that. <laughs> no, and the other things I just kind of while I guess we're finish up the, this little mini segment here. Um, it's not only does Roger seem to be on the outs with his daughter, but there's definitely been a, a freezing of the kind of warmth and affinity between Roger and Don. There's mm-hmm. a there's a distance between them, and I think when they go out trying to save the Madison Square Garden account. That's definitely there. And like, on one hand, it's like Don's kind of standoffish and jerkish to Roger, where it's like, don't normally see Don like that. But then again, it's it's Roger, so I don't mind. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah. And then again, Roger's kind of gross again with Betty as he's been in the past, and she's just having none of it because she's had the news that we'll we'll talk about later on about her family and her her plan to kind of deal with that but uh definitely the drapers do not appear to be fans of roger sterling at this time and that mm-hmm. is worth noting because it seems to reckon that reckon that uh, worth noting because it's a recognized shift in kind of how those characters have have viewed roger and how, by yeah. extension how we view roger so yeah that's a very good point. Don is holding a grudge that Roger implicated him in his affair and <laughs> subsequent divorce. <laughs> totally, 100%. And like Don's, it's all about 
control and managing image and you know that sort of things and like you know putting so much you know trying to show all these little little isolated fires and whatever and it's he was implicated in it and that that reflect don feels like that reflects badly on him in the eyes of someone and don doesn't doesn't like that especially when it was outside his control right so mm-hmm. well tough shit don and roger <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> definitely I just had so little patience for both of them this weekend. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, but we'll get to especially why I wasn't wasn't totally up for Don this week. So, well, before we get into that, did we want to we want to check in with Peggy because we didn't get a lot of Peggy in the first episode of season three, and definitely got got some more Peggy in this episode. Um, kind of what I had in, in the, both my notes and then our, our kind of shared show notes here was Peggy was right. The end. No more notes. Yeah. Yep. Basically. <laughs> I mean, there are, a, there are a couple notes, but no, <laughs> there's no, the but there's no, no, um, she super has a hundred percent a valid point. Like why is this product for women for herself being, done in a way that's just very male gazy just very dismissive of the fact that a woman will be targeted by this ad and they even even when she's just like well i'm the person who i'm the one who's gonna buy it and they're like well you're not fat anymore so you don't count i cringe so hard at that it's so bad i love i understand that like it's like complex because like Peggy is like judging this woman and like maybe we don't want to see women judging other women but when she is like so spicy and so ready to be like oh her ability to be 25 and act 14 I was like oh (laughs) that's that's very spicy and I'm pretty into it (laughs) it was really good my only thing is and I don't know if, if this is just a writing thing if I just dislike this sort of characterization is the fact that she was so bitter and like unpleasantly sassy about it because she wants to be that person like I think we could have done without that because I mean you know she she started falling back on the usual ways like you said she was criticizing other women the way you hear people being like oh isn't she kind of shrill and it's fake mm-hmm. and then yeah, she's seen later that. um in the mirror trying to be that person which like you know i mean we've all done that lord no i still do that but it just seems more like she's mad about it because she's not that and i don't I... like that yeah i agree i also don't like that but i also took it in like a different way kind of i I was mostly mad with the scene with her in the mirror. I was mostly mad at Ken about that. Like, God damn it. I mean, of course, he's the one being like, oh, it's fun. It's sexy. Don't be a prude. I'm like, don't be a yeah. dick, man. Like, I'm trying so hard for you right now, my dude. Like, he's why? Been doing so well. <laughs> why are you doing this to me personally? Um, <laughs> it is a little reassuring that at least Ken Cosgrove is still Ken Cosgrove. He hasn't done a total 180. Right. I true. <laughs> we can't take such a cosmic shift. I'm only a mere mortal. Um, when we see Peggy um, singing her song and dance in the mirror, I was definitely like, "You got in her head about what is like fun and sexy." Like she originally clocked this as not that because it's not her and she's not comfortable with it, and now she's like trying it on and like trying to be that because now you are 
like telling her that what she needs to be for like male attention is like something that she's like inherently not. I de- I didn't think like that Peggy internally like wanted to be that or like you didn't say this, but I'm just like extrapolating kind of like I didn't think that Peggy was like jealous of her. I thought it was more like I don't understand this, but if this is what it is, I guess like I'll try it. Mm-hmm. Like she's internalized what they're saying with all the this kind of it's kind of like they're gaslighting her, telling her no, this is what men really want and women want to see it through men's views because they want what men want i'm getting very tired of the um the only way to view women is if men want to be with them so like if men want to be with her then obviously every girl wants to be her and it's like can we have some space for like nuance (laughs) or like different types of women i mean I guess this is too much to ask for, like, the early 60s. It's a boring take, Don. <laughs> it's interesting that you, you bring that up, too, because, and correct me if I'm wrong, I know, because I, I, it's been about 24 hours since I, I watched the episode. I was only able to watch it once this week, but Peggy reenacting and Margaret at the beginning of Bye Bye Birdie in the mirror occurs after there's that brief exchange where she's walking through the hallway and Joan is greeting those, those other clients. It's like, Oh, I'll go get Mr. Mr. Price. He's happy to see you. Blah, blah, blah. And like, and they all like watch her leave. And like, they didn't notice Peggy at all when she walked by. Cause Joan was greeting mm-hmm. them. And you know, you see, I don't know if I can't remember if there's three or four of them, but their heads all mm-hmm. turn and you know, it's that, that, that thing. Right. So, that happens after like the bye-bye her reenacting the bye-bye birdie thing happens after that right and then it's yeah. right before she goes out to the bar am i is my chronology correct is that yes, something yes, else? yes. Yeah. and we actually hear joan like those peggy hears those those three men um laughing at this like i guess it's like a a joke that Joan tells saying like oh it's so crowded in here i feel like i'm on the train and they're saying something like oh, I wouldn't expect to see you on the train. And she says, like, oh, I actually don't take the train. My husband would never let me. And that was very annoying to me, which is why I clocked it. But also because Peggy says that exact same line at the bar. So, like, she takes two, like, representation of women with receiving men attention and copies both of them in this episode. Yeah, I... I my read was more like I think Peggy is kind of trying things on again, um, kind of like as we've seen her kind of do before, even back in in kind of season one with with Pete and and things like that. Um, what frustrated me about it was was in that scene at the bar where she's talking to the engineering student. He's like, oh, what do you do for work? I work in advertising. And he assumes that she's a, a typist and, you know, secretary mm-hmm. and whatever, based on his own internalized misogyny. Um, and she, like, waits a beat and, yeah, it's loud and they're trying to talk. But then, like, she just kind of, like, goes with it and, like, accepts mm-hmm. it. And, like, on one level, it's like... It is kind of fun to a certain degree to like 
play a different part. And I mean, not be yourself for deceptive or like nefarious purposes. I, I want to make that make that very clear. But again, like, you know, you're you're out, you're having a good time. Maybe you don't want to do anything. And it's like you don't want to give away too much of your own like personal information. So you kind of play a part. OK, I, could, I get it. It could mm-hmm. be that. But yeah. on the other half, on the other side of it, though, I don't know if that's what that was. That was her accepting kind of not wanting to say, hey, actually, no, I'm a I'm a copywriter on my own office. And like, you know, I I fucking rule. It's like, no, I want this guy to continue to talk to me. So I'm going to accept his own kind mm-hmm. of, you know, microaggression mm-hmm. and I'm going to minimize it. And like, I think that that's something that within patriarchal structures, within male supremacy because like that's what patriarchy is i think sometimes we as a culture say patriar- patriarchy so much we understand what it is but ultimately it's 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 male supremacy like that's that's what it is like mm-hmm. and it's aligned with white supremacy and all and all these other things this is the system that that we and when i say we i talk about cis men like myself who are white um that that we've designed not so it's a global we but not it's very specific we, so it's not actually that global, but has designed to like say, oh, here's my microaggression that I didn't even realize was a microaggression because I've internalized all this bullshit. And like, she's like, oh, but I still want him to talk to me because he seems nice and I don't want to, you know, cause, sorry, just punch the mic. I'm gesticulating with my hands. Um, I want to know where this goes. So I'm going to accept his like microaggression or his like lesser assumption that I am this instead of telling him what I am. And that happens every day and it happens then and it happens now today and it just it's it's frustrating it is Mm -hmm. and heartbreaking because you you even see that moment like as it registers on her face where she is consciously making the choice to as you said to like basically diminish her so he'll continue to like her and not feel like threatened because he's just quote unquote in school and she yeah. has a career and her own office. Yeah. And then she uses it to like bolster his ego too. When those two guys, like those uh, three guys come up and basically try to make, I don't know, make him look like some kind of weak townie or something. I didn't, I don't know. So my read of that was they were all went, the four of them went out together the other three were done but because peggy picked up or what they, he was talking to this other guy was talking to peggy that they're like we're going you're you're good right like we're going to leave you here with this girl because this is what you're you're seeking you're looking for a hookup or like whatever that was my read on them that was them doing their due diligence of like hey we're leaving now you're good to stay right because you know whatever that was that was my take on that why they did that that's so interesting that we saw it so differently (laughs) because i didn't take it as a negative as a positive interaction well i don't i don't think it necessarily like okay so i don't think it was a positive interaction either i think that was their expressions of masculinity with the, the other three friends saying hey we're leaving our buddies, you know, talking to Peggy, talking to this girl, he probably wants to, you know, pick her up and, you know, whatever. So it's like, I think it's loaded with a lot of kind of patriarchal assumptions of men seeking sex, right? Um, so I think they're doing it around to kind of like dig at him, but also placate their own consciences that they're they're leaving him because in a lot of 
in my experience and a lot of kind of, you know, male hangouts like that where you, you're out with a friend who, you know, has found someone they have like a connection with or whatever it's also like letting yourself off the hook to where it's like hey matt we're uh we're we're leaving now you have you have cab fare right and then matt would have the opportunity to decide no i want to stay talking to peggy or no i'm gonna leave with my guys hey sorry here's my phone number like whatever like so it's it's not i don't think it's a positive but i think my read was more that it was like a kind of masculinity friendship code thing that was that was kind of ritual is probably too dramatic of a word, but um, it was something that they had done before and they were doing their friend a courtesy while also like trying to suggest what they think he should or shouldn't do. I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking about it too much. That's I find it really surprising and I would never, and this is maybe me making like assumptions about people, but I would never think that a group of male friends would do, like, a goodbye check-in before they left the bar. (laughs) (laughs) That's, like, too pure for me to assume (laughs) your standard groups of dude friends to do. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to have to... I mean, I probably was not also paying attention to but like there it for me it was just very like oh you're gonna hook up we're gonna give one last public dig in front of the woman you're trying to hook up with uh before you peace out yeah that's totally but part I of it think too. i yeah. need to that's like it. way more what i assume from dudes but i also <laughs> didn't really track too much about this interaction so yeah there was a lot of still cringing at at what was happening to peggy and it, I really wonder who, because we have two credited writers in this episode, right? We have Catherine Humphreys and, and Matthew Weiner. And, I, and that specific interaction and, and kind of like Peggy's storyline in this episode specifically, I'd be curious to know which of the authors, um, or the credited writers, I should say, um, wrote what, right? Um, that'd be, I'd be curious yeah, I'm no, the Peggy stuff definitely is what made me think. I wonder if Matthew Weiner wrote on this one. Because <laughs> every time there's some weird thing about, like, how women want to be perceived or, like, going back and forth between, like, oh, should I be the strong career woman or should I be this, like, demure lady who, who takes up as little space as possible? I feel like that's when I'm going to see Weiner in the credits. There's some, like, other male stuff, too, that happens where I'm like, hmm... I have a feeling. <laughs> oh, and, and it's it's kind of it's interesting that that you say that because I think one of the things to the tells is there tends to be some kind of you know dawn flashback or, or dawn specific event that happens in a lot of the episodes that Weiner himself is is credited on, and I mean we can. It didn't feel like there was anything that monumental in this episode, but again, it was one of those ones where nothing happened, and in like three episodes, we're like, oh crap, everything happened in that episode. Um, but like, I feel like, and we haven't really like talked about, it, and I don't know if we need to spend a lot of time on it, but like the Kinsey Madison Square Garden stuff, and kind of like mm-hmm. the self righteous mm-hmm. indignation about, you know, how great something like Kinsey being Kinsey, that also felt very like like a brand and we've and i've talked before even going back as far as, as as season one of you know i think kinsey is like this example of 
this kind of mm, nerdish toxic masculinity a little bit, right? With that flavor where it's like, oh, he's the nice guy, but there's the entitlement that like comes with being the nice guy, kind of like Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character in 10 Things I Hate About You as well. Okay. Um, I think there's a little bit of that as well when you kind of watch that movie back now. Um, so when I, look, when I look through that, I feel male authorship. Um, rightly or wrongly, and again, I don't know who how they broke down the work for this episode. Um, but yeah, I almost feel like the Betty and the Dawn stuff, I feel whiner and more than some of the Peggy stuff, but I can definitely, I don't know. It's, I'd be interesting to, I don't know if we, if we can find that out, but uh, reader or readers, <laughs> listeners, if you know, give us an email at, at slowgreatpod at gmail.com and we can, can get to the bottom of this. Um, before we move on from Peggy, there is some stuff in her uh, in her scenes that I want to shout out. One yeah. of them being like personal boundaries and safety in a sexual interaction. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. if you're like, hi, do you have a condom? Also name drop or I guess like product placement. Do you have a Trojan? <laughs> like I would never in my life say that. Um, <laughs> but um, like asking if he has a condom and when he doesn't, she's like, well, I'm not doing this. So definitely shout out that. But like also shout out her being like, there are other things. <laughs> like, <laughs> Still had a there good time. There are other things. Yeah, he had such a good time. He asked her if he, she, when she's like sneaking out. He's like, "Do you want to get breakfast?" I don't give a damn if it's three a.m. I'm like, "Yes, I do." You got a diner open? Yeah, I was gonna say there's gotta be twenty four hour diners in New York. I'm trying to get some three a.m. pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> there's gotta be diners somewhere. In my head, it's probably Peggy being like, "Yes, I do," but like not with you. Not with you though. I'm actually on my way. To my spot, <laughs> you're not invited. It was fairly <laughs> masterful the way she def- deflected every attempt to be all like, hey, do you want to do a thing? Do you want to stay longer? Do you want to hang out? Do you want to see each other again? And she's just like, that's nice. Yeah, I hang Bye. out at that bar a lot. She's like, uh-huh, cool. <laughs> With only the, just the slightest awkwardness of not figuring out the locks because New York. <laughs> She also did that that moment where he's like, oh, where do you work? And she's just like, Madison Avenue. No specifics. Madison Avenue. I'm not giving you my location. She's leaving. He seems a bit like that type. (laughs) She's leaving. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, that was nice. Do you want breakfast? No, okay. Um, Yeah, no, like, phone number. No, here's my mailing address. You know, anything else like that's like that. Yeah. So um, I go to that bar a lot if you want to see me. I hang out there sometimes. Like, fairly frequently, it's like, you don't have a phone? She's like, I will literally never go to that bar again. (laughs) (laughs) Even with the Madison Avenue thing, he still may be walking up and down the street like Freddie and uh, what's it, My Fair Lady singing on the streets where you live? He's got that vibe. (laughs) All right. Well, good for you, Peggy. Even if you did call another woman shrill. I'm saying yes to breakfast before I say no to a future hang. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, at least get breakfast out of it. I'm not turning down breakfast. (laughs) All right. Do we want to move on to the Drapers? Oh, the Draper. Um, We have this scene kind of in the the middle-ish of the episode before we kind of get into the the thick of the, the Betty's kind of family stuff. And it kind of, I guess, provides this kind of functional connective tissue between some of the office stuff in the episode and the, the home life stuff in the episode. But this dinner scene between 
um, the prices. So we have Lane, his wife Rebecca, who we meet for, I think, for the first time, um, Betty and Don. And I kept in my mind when I was watching it, contrasting it back to a similar scene we had like this in season one, where we had the Sterlings and then the Drapers out together. I think this might have been season one, episode two, Ladies' Room. Um, and we learned in that scene that Rebecca Price hates New York and clearly is very homesick for London and is looking at, you know, all the things that she perceives as as bad about where they live in, in New York. Um, also, also gently racist. That including, you know, her racism of, you know, living by the UN and, you know, it being non-white um, around her. Kind of some, some classic colonialism, colonial racism going on there. Um, but what stood out to me aside from the racism, or in addition to the racism, I should say, is the scene in the car where the Drapers are driving home and the distance between mm. Betty and Don, mm-hmm. especially in contrast to their drive back to, I think it's Osling, they live in the back to the suburbs from the city after they met with the Sterlings two seasons ago where they were cuddling in the car and it was just really sweet and they got back to the house and it was also really sweet whereas then this car they're on opposite ends of the car they get home they're getting ready for bed and just the blocking and the shot composition it felt like there were miles and a world war one trench between them because she's sitting on the bed with her back turned to him and she's in the one side of the bed the one corner Don's, of course it's Don being more fuller in the frame um, but on the other corner facing the camera and just it felt like there were miles and miles and miles between them and it just it, it, it the, the, that shot worked for me so I thought that was something worth, worth mentioning and kind of calling back to things are, yeah, I've... are not great with the Drapers still mm-hmm. I really like that because those scenes in the first season like Oh, they just made me like so heartsick because I'm like Betty, this is an illusion. Like this is, it just it it was hard to see her be like so close to him and like so smitten with him when we know like what he's out doing. And yeah, it like sucks that they are having like a hard time in their marriage right now. But at least it's not like all bullshit, right? And that it's like more. Yeah, I don't love to see people like in a in a marriage or in a relationship that like maybe isn't fully working and like there's a lot of like pain around that but it's mm-hmm. better for me at least personally to be like at least this is like honest pain and not like bullshit fantasy yeah that is because... like something of a weirdly that's kind of uh evolution for them or some growth progress where at least when they're unhappy mm-hmm. they're expressing it even if they can't do anything I to was... fix it or won't really like, obviously, this was this line was snark, but it was like, I really appreciated it when Don was like, tell me now and not three seconds after I've dozed off, which like, that's kind of a dick sentence. But like, honestly, very real, because <laughs> yeah. that's a thing that Betty would do, which would be tell him something when he's asleep and then be mad that he didn't know about it. And like, Betty, I understand you. I feel you. We've all been very mad that our significant other isn't a mind reader but on the on the same note like if you guys are really doing this then like you have to actually do it and it sucks and it's painful but it has to be done (laughs) 
Yeah. I mean, calling each other out is good. When Don was like, why did you even bother asking me? I would just yeah. like the record to show that she did not ask you, and I don't think she was planning on it. I'm glad that you decided to take that out of that conversation and hurt your own feelings. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's definitely an authenticity to their relationship that that hasn't existed before. Um, I just hope they actually like start talking to each other. Because they're like they're there's the odd comment back and forth, but like it feels to me like they're in that that stage where there is that distance, there is that chill, and it's like for whatever reason, whether it's self preservation or trying to you know maintain the status quo as much as you can, even while you're expecting a new a new baby that Betty is sure will be a girl. Um, it's like there's an authenticity there, but they're still like they're still not talking. They're just kind of mm-hmm. both unhappy together. It's like I don't know. It's like we still have a couple more, I think, breakthroughs to have with them before yeah, yeah, things yeah. are ideal, right? Um I have a question. Mm-hmm. Donna at one point is like, Oh, keep it up, that baby's gonna weigh a pound. Mm-hmm. Can someone explain to me how much babies weigh? Uh, six, five, six is like on the smaller to average size. So if this say. baby weighs a pound, that's like not healthy. Too small. I think he's telling her to eat more. He yeah, said, eat some was, oatmeal. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought he was like giving her like a warning. I was like, Don, do you know how babies work? Okay, that's stupid. <laughs> Melissa, do you know how TV works? <laughs> yeah. No, it's that was that was my read as well. And I I think part of it too where she's like, Oh, Carla must have had it, but, but like, you know, and left the box open because I wouldn't have done that. And it's like I mean, maybe, but you're also like blaming one of the show's only characters of color yeah, that has that. a name in more than three lines so it's like no you yeah. girl you got pregnancy brain and you forgot and it's fine but like you also need to remember to eat is i think what don is saying to her that's that was my read all yeah. of that works much better upon group <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, not an elegantly written line, so I had to take a moment to stop and think about it, too, because it was like, wait. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Because this is Betty, who's always been conscientious of her figure. Yeah, so she's like, oh, I don't want my husband to believe that I have eaten all this food, and he's being like, eat all the food. You're cooking a baby. Yeah. So, okay. I liked Dawn a little bit But like. but even like that like yes he's expressing like concern but like it's all much like the like tell me now don't tell me later thing where it's like it's close to what would be healthy and like what would be good but there's still this like tinge of like frustration or anger Mm -hmm. or whatever like from the distance it's like yeah exactly exactly so Don's not the one in this relationship who'd be, who should be doing this thing, and it feels like he a little bit is the person doing this thing. But you know when you're, and maybe I'm the only one on this podcast that's had this experience, but you know when you're in a relationship and, like, something happens and you're still mad, but you have already had the fight and decided that it wasn't, like, a, a relationship-ending fight, and so now every single thing is, like, snarky and, like, a snide comment or... 
or like a, a very mean like reference like everything is jokes and everything is snark and that's a little bit what I feel like Don is doing here <laughs> even though he's not the one that should be doing it it should be Betty doing it <laughs> yeah like he, he he gets it on a rational level but um and I think it's you know he isn't fully processed processed it emotionally and I think that's like of actually a natural thing to happen even when you're not with the person who did something wrong um to still feel upset when the other person is still upset at you or hasn't like quote quote gotten over it like you have even though they've both clearly not gotten over it mm-hmm. it's like you said you were over it why are you still making fun of me about this every time you open your mouth and you're like i don't know <laughs> i'm still having the feelings okay <laughs> and now i am full of hormones <laughs> And, like, in a similar vein, like, I wanted to put you both on the spot because I know we had had talked about him last season when we we met when we met him. Um, Where are we at with uh, Betty and her brother now? Now that we've we've seen some more of him and their discussions on their family finances and their dad's health situation and, you know, the challenges and struggles that come with having an, an aging parent. I look, I still don't think I like him as a person, but I get him. No, I think he's a dick. I mean, I probably get him too, but I just don't like him. <laughs> he's he's just, he's still an unpleasant person. <laughs> um, and I don't think you can like fully absolve Betty either because she's just like oh he's still trying to he's always nailing himself to that cross and I was like and how but how could he talk to me that way when I'm pregnant I was like um uh how, who's gonna tell that her? was a little heavy on the drama <laughs> yeah. well and like I think too like then my follow-up question based on this quote from from Betty because her brother whose name I've forgotten right now apologies um, says like we, we found William. Thank you. William Hofstad has found a a seniors home halfway between shout out to New Brunswick, New Jersey, and wherever the Hofstads live. Um, so easy enough for all of the children to and families to kind of get to for Jean to move to, and has a plan about selling their house. And again, they would then move into his childhood home. But you know they're willing to sell their house. So like William does okay in in this whole deal, and Betty is a no. She says that seniors seniors home seniors retreats the Springfield Retirement Castle is for people who don't have families. And Melissa, you said something earlier about you know in relation to, to Betty and Don talking about you know being over something but not, and then it coming out in, in different ways. I would argue, or I am arguing, I suggest, um, that Betty not wanting to put her dad, move her dad into a retirement home is is her own guilt coming out, right? Because William mentions Mm -hmm. that, Betty doesn't mention that Jean and Betty used to fight all the time. Um, So she could be guilty about that now that he's, you know, aging and she's, you know, we know how her mother's death impacted her kind of throughout season one and even still now and her relationship with, with Sally and everything else. So that's still very real. And now she's facing, you know, the guilt and what to do with, you know, her dad as, as he ages. Um, she's probably guilty that she left this this family that she had, which, again, maybe not the the best 
you know ideal family but again it's still her family um that she left it she left the family for for dawn and then with no family who cheats on her and doesn't see her as an equal in any form so it's like this this mill like because i was frustrated by betty in this episode this is the first time in kind of this run through of mad men where i like had to kind of check myself and like dig a bit deeper because on one level i was like oh this is the betty i remember right like i remember having that thought while i was watching it where it's like was frustrated by her so i'm like okay like where is this coming from where in 2009 did my baby brain not want to or didn't have the ability at that part to dig deeper and i think it is this kind of like guilt and overcompensation where she's and i just punched my mic again sorry i need to stop gesticulating um where she's internalizing something and it's coming out as this. Do you two agree? Disagree? I would like to hear your thoughts. And I will put my hands on my lap now and not punch the mic anymore. Hmm. Like, any sibling shit is complicated for me and, like, dad shit is complicated for me. And so for watching this episode, both times I watched it, I was like, Betty, all the way. You're 100% <laughs> right. Everyone around you is a stupid idiot fool. <laughs> no, I... In a lot of ways, I I found in all of them I found something good. The only person I didn't really have any complaints about was uh was what's her name Judy. Judy was great. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah Judy's a wife. saint. So many people here who annoy me but have amazing wives. What the hell? Um, <laughs> but like there were moments I liked what Don did and also hated what he did. I liked what William was doing. Hated who he was as a person. And with Betty, totally understood Betty. But also it's just like none of what you're doing is actually helpful because <laughs> you I mean like you said dad stuff is complicated getting older is complicated and just ha- being a person mm-hmm. who has um who has an older father and who has siblings who are much older so like and who are in a different country completely so like navigating all of it who's gonna take what responsibility who's gonna do what it's so exhausting <laughs> and mm-hmm. William being, I, is he the older one? He's the oldest because he's 30, right? Yeah. He's yeah. he's yeah. also the older one. So he's like the man. He's supposed to like take charge, but he's working with or for his father. He's the one who's like nearby and feels like that he gave up so much of his life to take care of his dad to be the good son. And Betty's the one who always gets showered with all the love and everything. Um, and Betty is so mad that he had gloria there to take care of things but then was so mad when she was gone mm-hmm. and she couldn't offer any actual solutions to like no we can't put him in home he can't be by himself gloria can't be here you can't move into the house you can't have the house and i mean it was her like just having to deal with all of these thoughts and feelings like really real choices in admittedly a stressful time in her life um but not coming to anything like useful or not even really sympathizing with her brother who has had to watch their father get older in front of his eyes, which is so painful mm-hmm. to do. Um, and then Don, who doesn't even have uh, like forethought, I think, when he makes the choice that Jean's going to move in with them. Um and he's kind of mean to William. And I felt really bad for William in that moment because who was, I thought, being really cool, being all, not super letting him take charge of the conversation. I thought that was really interesting. Um, but at the same time, I was like, he's doing it for Betty. 
He doesn't, I don't think he cares that much about Gene, but you know. I feel well, like he, I played right into the show's hands this episode, and I'm a little disappointed <laughs> in myself. <laughs> played me like a fiddle. A follow-up <laughs> question, if I may. Please. So we know that Don is a fan of the grand gesture, the, mm-hmm. the fur coat at the at the door. Mm-hmm. We've is him taking charge of the situation, and I mean we know he doesn't get along with Gene. We know Gene doesn't like Don. Like, you know what I mean? Like even this episode, Gene's like, "This is the best room you could give me," and he's like, "You're an, you're an army man. Figure it out." Like like right. Um, but in this moment, it's Don taking charge, telling William what was going to happen, that he wouldn't move into the house, that Jean was moving in with, with Don and Betty and the kids. Is is this his grand gesture to try and build that, that bridge across that bed? Uh, why'd you earn it, Matt? <laughs> I mean, probably, actually. And it's, it's very, like, masculine of him to... Uh, now I don't like it as much. <laughs> well... And like I think too, then the, we go kind of to the the next scene when they're all you know at the the maypole with the with Abigail Spencer who plays the uh, the teacher and like the kind of again I don't know how I mean my read is that Don's being a bit leery but he's also wearing those like really rad sunglasses so it's kind of hard to see how leery he's being uh-huh. that's why sunglasses are bad uh, but like the zooming in on the fiddling with the grass was like weirdly yeah. I mean he predatory. definitely saw yes he definitely saw like a lovely carefree woman with her toes in the grass and he's like I want my shit in the grass I mm-hmm. want that for me that simplicity like no she's a human a complex individual human being who's not there to fix your problems and everything that don had done to develop goodwill up till that moment was dashed to the ground yeah it was a big bummer i was quite sad yeah if he can't ground himself in his actual family it's like he talked about like playing with the grass and like whatever and it's like like yeah you can get deeper, like, oh, this is where he's he's finding himself. He's finding his footing again. He's he's grounding himself, but it's, it's in that pursuit of something because now he feels like he fixed his family. Or like like it just it's it's classic Don, and it's frustrating. And it's only episode two of season three. So, so I have a question. Go ahead. We've talked about how like they set up Roger to be so bad so that Don can look better. Like, do we think that they like overplayed their hand with like Betty being so upset about this and like not really offering any like constructive solutions so that it's more impactful when Don swoops in with his grand gesture? Probably. Mm-hmm. Like that, I, I feel like now, that, especially after hearing you guys talk about it and how susceptible I was to it, I'm like wondering if they like took away some something more interesting that they could have had for Betty in this situation, so that they could give Don like this glory. Hmm. No, I think you're onto something there because it does seem like a really obvious solution that Betty never comes up with. It's just her being like, I'm a bad daughter. I'm comparing myself to my sister-in-law, who's so much more amazing at this. Yeah. And, like, I loved when that seemed like the turning point. Like, Don is like, only I get to make my wife feel like shit. But, like, this could have been Betty's idea, and Betty could have told it to Don, and then Don could have, like, rode into battle with her, like, own idea for her. And then, look, now we have 
smart Betty and also Hero Don. Like, and they could have been partners. We can have both. They can be partners. Anyway. And there is a, you know, consider that moment when uh, Betty asks Judy what she wants to do or if, you know, she's voting for the house for putting their dad in a home. And she's just like, I don't get a vote. And they're like, Don doesn't either. <laughs> Guess what yeah. happens? And like talk about kind of like the episode, like it, it rhyming. And, you know, it's like when you write a, a paper, your your conclusion is supposed to mirror your your introduction paragraph and your thesis and whatever, right? And this whole storyline starts with Betty inviting the family, including her dad, and not asking Don. And the resolution okay. is Don just coming to the resolution, not talking to Betty about it, and Gina staying. With the but lady. I think Betty's happy. I think so, yeah. too. I, I think so, too. But I just mean the idea of, like, talking about yeah, yeah, yeah. them not, still not communicating, even uh-huh. though there's yeah. that authenticity. Like, it's... Still not yeah. partners. Yeah. And it, like, <sighs> it, and it goes back to, like, you know, just to talk about, like, the business side of it for a second again. When Don and Roger go and meet with the Madison Square Garden guy that Kinsey pissed off by being a hippie, are, are a quote-unquote communist, as the Madison Square Garden guy says, by siding with the, the protesters who don't want to lose Penn Station. Um, Don says, if you don't like something, change the conversation. And I think that's one of Don's, touch, Don's touchstones. Mm-hmm. That's what he does. Mm-hmm. And when that doesn't work, that's when he runs and starts mm-hmm. over. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah. And... Uh... I'm sitting here also just kind of trying to figure out the through line about daughters and their dads, too, because Mm. we have Roger and Margaret and Roger just not being able to comprehend that his daughter wouldn't want him at her wedding uh, and asks Peggy about her dad. You know, what would he have to do to not want him at her wedding? And she's just like, well, my dad's dead. And he's just like, yeah, see, you do anything. It's like, uh, she didn't answer the question that you think you asked. Um, and then, you know, Betty being upset about being a bad daughter and everything. And just trying to f- figure out how that all fits in with all this. Well, it goes back kind of like, I guess, to Echo Season 1 again. That whole idea of like that question of what women want, right? And like earlier on, it was more kind of a general romantic like, I mean, it's still a romantic partner, like, in some senses with Betty, but, like, romantic partner slash, you know, how do we, you know, what do we want, what are we going to, you know, that's where we end up with. I think it's, is it the bra campaign or is it the lipstick or the Belgian League campaign? I don't remember now. But, like, it almost feels mirrored, but now it's it's not kind of what do women want in general, you know, like the, the Helen Hunt Mel Gibson movie, but, like, it's specifically what does my daughter want? what do I owe my daughter and what does my, and what do I, the daughter, owe my dad? Mm. Right? I don't know. I don't know. Because he also had Sally running up to Don being like, did you see me? He's uh, like, I saw someone. Uh, you were, yeah, at some point you crossed paths with the one I was looking at. It's fine. You were there. But I don't know. Does it, does it feel like it's saying like daughters want their daddies to take care of them i don't think it's saying that i i like i think it's sorry i, I think no, go what ahead I, no sorry what, I, what i'm i think i'm suggesting is it's like 
father's trying to figure out what their daughters want in the case of like Roger, but then not really listening. And I think that's what's indicative of the the pay thing. Like it's and maybe this is getting too galaxy brain, but it's like when people are trying to decide what the best course of action for something is, um, they often turn to or perceive like something that's that's bigger than themselves, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like they like they're looking for signs. They want like a burning bush moment, and like a lot of times in my experience, when people go looking for that kind of sign, whatever sign they find basically reinforces what they probably wanted anyways and based on their own biases or ideology or or whatever so like roger to peggy in the elevator was like oh see yeah your dad's dead he you'd do anything for him there and that's not what she said he wasn't listening he just like that's what made him feel better because margaret is crazy in his his perspective right for not not wanting him or jane there and he didn't even she didn't even say she didn't want him there she said she didn't want jane there which i think is different like I don't know. There's, the it's least just... she could do is not come to mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't think I have a, like a tight, tight, condensed thesis statement, but I think, I think there's something there about that, that dynamic and that kind of father daughter relationship. I concur. I just don't, don't know if I have Can't a thesis quite, statement for yeah. it yet. Just yeah. Put a finger on it. So, listeners, if you can put a finger on it, email us at atstillgreatbob at gmail.com. I do want to give a shout out to Betty that her emotional response is to immediately go out and get some chicken. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I related to that really hard. And Don, at least, said that they would get chicken later. So, small things. God, I was... I'm a little disappointed in myself. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that old Don Draper chestnut. He really had me. I mean, the whole episode had me. So I mean, Mad Men's good. We all know this, but um, it's good at taking taking your feelings. I like really try not to play like right into Matthew Weiner's hands, but okay. Um, but I was like very, very into Don when he was like, "Stay here, go out for chicken later." I'm like, "All right, okay." Well, it was, a, it was a win-win, right? Because William and, and and his family had to leave right away to get the train because the car was staying there. So, like, mm-hmm. there are less people to buy chicken for. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, bits or bobs? What about bits and bobs? Bits and bobs? Bits and bobs. Bits and bobs. <laughs> okay. Um, my first and mostly main one is this line that Joan says to Betty when they're like bonding over being married and probably having babies. And Joan's like, oh, my husband said that come July 1st, you know, whatever happens at his job. Uh, July July 1st, 1st, he says, I better watch out. I'm like, yeah, fuck off. I hate this. He does. Like, I feel like the... I'm mm, like, okay, we talked, I don't remember if it was actually in the podcast or whatever, but like if, if this didn't stay in the podcast, I'll just tell the listeners now. I asked Matt and Annie if like the Joan, um, assault from 
last season comes back into the podcast and they told me that it does in some ways and so we are just waiting patiently for that i guess but like to put this fucking line in there before they address that is disgusting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i'm obviously big big mad about it so it's not there you go. great bob <laughs> no not great bob um yeah. uh for the record july 1st is when like the the year starts for residents so that's when you get your new residents people fresh out of medical school it's a very trying time for those of us who work in the medical field and or need a need surgery at that time sorry guys um but it's because he becomes chief resident and allegedly has more time i guess (laughs) that's funny i hope he fucking doesn't i hope he never gets to leave the hospital yeah that's when they transition to practice to after residency this july 1st a lot it's busy time yeah maybe he just assumes like oh then we'll be we'll have a baby by the end of residency or something i don't know i don't know i don't know i I didn't like it either way i hope he never has anything good in life Um, I also want to give a big side eye to the line about, oh, we should have torn down Penn Station during the newspaper strike. Cool. That's all. Just <laughs> want to point it out. <laughs> stupid line, stupid thought. No. More bobs, more bits. Um, so I guess more of a show bit before my my personal bob thought. Um, didn't forgot to mention this last week. We are now in Bobby number three territory, played by Jared <laughs> Gilmore, um, who you might recognize from Once Upon a Time. He is um, Henry. Was that the kid's name from Once Upon a Time? I only watched the first season when it hit Netflix. Sure. It was entertaining for a season, and then I lost interest. That sounds but yeah, right. He is. He was Bobby number Aww. three. He is. He's Bobby for I think season three and season four, and then he left because he booked. Once Upon a Time, um, back when the show ended, and I will link the EW article in the show notes if I remember. Um, Melissa, maybe don't click it because there will be spoilers of future Bobbies. Um, but back in 2015, Kiernan Shipka on the List app ranked all the Bobbies, one through whatever, and <laughs> had, had, oh fun little, had fun little comments about the different Bobbies, and Jared Gilmore was apparently, allegedly, according to Kieran Shipka, the controversial Bobby, because he had a taste for eating packets of straight sugar. Oh my god. Oh my god. Speaking of which, how friggin' cute was Sally in her little May Day dress? She was extremely cute. I was like, this is um, alarming after watching Midsummer like six times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Last weekend on my on my birthday, for some reason, had just watched um, the Wicker Man from like seventy three, like the the, the original one, because I'd never seen it. And there's a maypole on that, and there's a quite kind of like an explicit kind of nursery rhyme type that they they sing around it. What they go and it's like, what does the maypole represent? And they're like the phallus, and I saw that was all in my brain. Oh, <laughs> yeah, so cool. Wicker Man, nineteen seventy three. Wow, good movie. <laughs> kind of like a less. Like a less good midsummer, but it's kind of tough to compare a movie from '73 to one from from 2019. But yeah, folk horror—it's a thing that Matt likes. I am um, shocked to hear there is another thing that is the penis. Anyway, if you want to get a hold of us, like Matt said a couple times in the episode, you can email us at stillgreatbob@gmail.com. We are at stillgreatpod on Twitter. And if you really like the show and love us, you can rate and review it on the podcasting system 
of your choice. And as always, thank you so much to DJ Empirical for our super groovy theme song. Mm-hmm. Uh, Melissa, where else can we hear your dulcet tones? Oh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Mellow Yellow, which is M-E-L-L-O-O Yellow, or you can find me co-hosting the Wild Pretty Things podcast. Our most recent episode is about the very strange quarantine watch Vivarium starring Imogen Poots and Jesse Eisenberg. Huh? (laughs) That's all I can have to say about that. It's a movie. Matt, where can people find you? You can follow me on Twitter at MattyHugh, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. And Annie, where can we find more of you on the internet? Uh, well, I am on the Twitters and Instagrams, not updating them regularly at Pop Artery. Uh, you can also find me in my other podcast, The Daily Nightly. We are reading a lot of Jane Austen. We're actually finishing up uh, Pride and Prejudice really, really soon. It's exciting. Oh, that is exciting. All right, cool. Well, high five everyone, but like distantly. (laughs) Good days. Sorry, that was a VeggieTales reference. I apologize. We can cut that out.